Hello, this is Robbie Martin of Media Roots Radio. And today we're doing a special broadcast. Um, there's a ton of shit going on right now. There's a coup in Turkey happening as I'm recording this. Um, there's a bunch of other crazy shit happening. Uh, Trump just picked his VP. But something that I think is possibly more notable than either of those um, is the release of the 28 redacted pages from the 9-11 Joint Congressional Inquiry. Um, and I have a special guest joining me today to discuss these, um, who I would consider arguably the world's leading expert in this subject, uh, John Gold. So welcome, John. Thank you, Robbie, for that nice uh, introduction. Yeah, it's interesting times right now. I mean, the coup in Turkey, uh, the terrorist attack yesterday. Oh, my God, I forgot about that, man. That's, yeah. It, you know, it's just horrible. And this is the world that we created, you know, through our actions since since the, the, the time of 9-11. Our response to 9-11 has essentially created this world. Yeah, and it's something I tried to, you know, kind of show in a very heavy agenda, you know, just how much we, you know, this, all this stuff we've been building towards these kinds of things. I mean, when, when we first got into this, the idea of Islamic terrorism or terrorism being a, being real or actually like a real danger was very low. You know, it was, it seemed almost cartoonishly exaggerated. We're actually in this era now where, um, you know, terrorist attacks are really happening on a, on a ramped up scale in other countries. We're still unaffected by it mostly here. And I think that's something that's also really angering to me is just how whatever damage we've created in the wake of the war on terror is it's really not coming back here. It's mostly affecting Europe um, and, and the Middle East. I mean, people, Middle Easterners are dying as a result of us taking a baseball bat to the beehive. So, yeah, we don't want it to come here, but we also want it to stop there. And it has come here in a, in little ways. I mean, the guy in Orlando, I don't know if he was influenced by ISIS or not, but whatever. Um, yeah. Well, so, you know, a, a lot of people obviously have been talking about Saudi Arabia recently, um, partly because, well, actually, I don't know if you would agree with this, but it seems like the idea that Wahhabism is one of Saudi Arabia's biggest exports is kind of become a mainstream view to a certain extent. It's not, it's not something controversial um, anymore. And, it, and I guess I'm going to let you guide this, John, because I don't, I honestly don't even know why, what was the significance of today of being the day that they would unlock this door that's been locked for so long, which was, the redaction of these 28 pages that allegedly point to Saudi involvement in the 9-11 attacks. What's, what, what, what is the significance about today? I don't know what the significance of today is other than the fact that they released them finally. Um, it's something the family members have been fighting for for a long time. They've wanted to use the information within the pages in a lawsuit against Saudi Arabia Right now, they're fighting to get JASTA passed, which would give them the ability to sue Saudi Arabia in court, which is something they, they haven't been allowed to do. Um, I just think the pressure has been building over a number of years. Uh, 
you know, with the different people coming out, um, voicing their opinions for the release of the 28 redacted pages, you know, like Walter uh, Jones, Stephen Lynch, Thomas Massey, uh, even Rand Paul at one point said something. You know, uh, Bob Graham has been going on for years about it. So I just think... Trump? <laughs> just kidding. I mean, he actually did say something, but... He did say something. <laughs> Whatever he said was completely inaccurate. So it doesn't really matter. But, um, yeah, I think it's just been building to a head for a long time. Obama did promise the family members on two occasions that he would release them. Um, so I I don't know. So, you, so you're, you're saying a tipping point was occurring recently where just enough momentum kind of yeah. built up where they felt that they had to release them. 60 Minutes came out with their little piece, um, you know, a month and a half ago, which gave a lot of momentum to this particular cause. What was your grade of that, by the way? Because I remember you had some positive and negative things to say about that special. Well, I just, I remember that, you know, they didn't really talk about what most people don't talk about, the problems with the 9-11 Commission concerning Saudi Arabia, and that mostly revolves around Philip Zelikow and Dieter Snell. Well, let's let's go into that a little bit later. I, I guess, for I mean, mostly just the beginning part of this discussion, I wanted to know, you said you already read through them all and yeah. and transcribed some you know important things that stood out to you, but I wanted to go back to my first question and just... Um, specify what I meant was was there some was there some announcement that Obama made or the White House made saying that they were going to come out or was this just a surprise no 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 they've been they they announced it a few days ago that they expected to be released by Friday today um, and before that you know they they had a mid-June deadline that they set up that they missed and you know they're a month late on that deadline. Who is this? The the White House or yeah, Obama. Okay, and the ODNI, which was the thing that was tasked with um, declassifying the information. So when this actually came out, did they come out with a press conference for it or a press release? As far as I can see, nothing. I mean, it just came out in the news. They just released it I, I think cbs was the first to report on it and cbs said it's about to come out right they kind of got the it seemed like some of the news outlets knew it was about to come out and had yeah. already seen it but it wasn't they it they weren't allowed to release it yet is that correct i don't know that they saw them or not but this was not a surprise by any stretch i mean we've been waiting for these pages for about a month now um okay so that was a part of the story i guess i just didn't I wasn't aware of. I didn't. I didn't realize that it had already reached the point where they promised they were going to come out. You were. You were very involved with a very heavy agenda, so you wouldn't even. <laughs> Seriously. Well, that's my, that's my excuse. But I mean, so, so now that they're out, um, what do I think about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you? I think it's great that they're out for the families. Um, I think it's great. Um, that they're out to show us, you know, what was in them for the most part. I mean, there are still a great many redactions in the pages themselves, which is a problem. But with regards to 9-11, there are redactions in so many different documents from so many different investigations. Uh, it's just absurd how many redactions there actually are. Um, but, you know, 
it's infuriating because it, it verifies or, you know, tells us that Bush was protecting his friend. It's clear it had nothing to do with national security, and I'm referring to Prince Bandar. Now, when you say Bush is protecting his friend, this is something that you had suspected was in the redacted pages for a while. I remember you talking to me about Bandar Bush being in there. Was it? What's his real name, by the way? Because that's the nickname he was given, right? Bandar Bush? Oh, Prince Bandar. Al bin Sultan, I think. I forget. Okay. What his full name is, but I just go to call him Prince Bandar. Now, most people have characterized the release of the 28 pages or what's in them as being, you know, the reason they were redacted is because it was meant to cover for the Saudi government and our, you know, us being allies with Saudi Arabia. Well, that's what... Yeah, go ahead. uh, But I I mean, I'm wondering, do you think it's something perhaps more specific than that, that this actually was maybe supposed, you know, not just covering for the government as a whole, but specific friends of the Bush family? Well, that's... I have a quote, and hold on, I'll get it, um, from Walter Jones. Quote, it's about the Bush administration and its relationship with the Saudis, end quote. So that's what it was about. You know, Bandar is mentioned all throughout the, the, the pages. Um, you know, here's an interesting entry. Quote, on at least one occasion, Baznan received a check directly from Prince Bandar's account. According to the FBI, on May 14th, 1998, Baznan cashed a check from Bandar in the amount of $13,000. Baznan's wife also received at least one check directly from Bandar. She also received one additional check from Bandar's wife, which she cashed on January 8, 1998, for $10,000. And that's on page 427. And Baznan is one of the people who helped the two um, San Diego hijackers. Interesting. And this is, and these are the sort of, uh, would these people be considered Saudi royals or were they more just um, rich Saudis who were living in the country? These, these, this landlord or I this. Think the 28 pages describe them as agents of Saudi government. Actual agents of the Saudi government. That's what I think they said. Interesting. So I guess just, just go through some more of these things that stood out to you because. I, like I said, I haven't read the pages yet, and um, you know, as let's point out a few things first. Sure. Um, first of all, uh, Bandar's memoranda for the record from the nine eleven commission is classified. We're not allowed to read that. Um, when John Lehman, when the nine eleven commission met with Bush and Cheney behind closed doors, not under oath, you know, um, John Lehman asked Bush specifically about this Bandar and 9-11 issue, and he'd, quote, dodged the questions. (laughs) So, you know, to me, he should be arrested, as far as I'm concerned. Um, You know, in the 28 pages, they mention how Saudi Arabia wasn't cooperative, but they don't talk about how people like George Tennant would tell his subordinates to lay off the Saudis and and stuff like that prior to 9-11. you know, which contributed to the issue. Um, and again, with regards to the 9-11 Commission, Philip Zelikow blocked half of the interview requests for Saudi investigators. He made it difficult to gain access to these 28 redacted pages for the Saudi investigators, forcing Dana Lisaman to go through a back channel to get them 
so she could do her job, and he fired her as a result of that. Um, you know, he and Dieter Snell took part in a late-night editing session to remove Saudi support from, for the hijackers from the 9-11 report, and they, they relegated it to footnotes in the back of the book. And this is against the wishes of Mike Jacobson and Raj Day, who were the two investigators, uh, two staffers from the 9-11 Commission who were investigating the Saudi issue. Um, so, I mean, they say that they've looked into this issue, and they didn't. The 9-11 Commission and their conclusions can't be trusted. Of course. So, um, here's something that stood out to me. Quote, a CIA report also indicates that Baznan traveled to Houston in 2002 and met with an individual who was redacted. The report states that during that trip, a member of the Saudi royal family provided Baznan with a significant amount of cash. FBI information indicates that Baznan is an extremist and supporter of Osama bin Laden and has been connected to the Eritrean Islamic Jihad and the Blind Sheikh. That's from page 417. And I think the individual who met with Baznan was Prince Bandar. It doesn't say that, though. Um, because I think there was a an incident where Baznan met with uh, somebody from Bandar's entourage while they were in Houston, while Bandar was meeting with Bush. And I don't know that it was Bandar. I think they mentioned it was a specific Saudi who liked to travel with suitcases full of cash. And Bandar is the only one that I've been able to find a description of that does that. Um, so I don't know if it's Bandar or not, but I do think it is. So... In this 28 pages, it sounds like um, it's pretty well established now, in the official narrative at least, that Bandar was directly involved in financing some of these hijackers. Am I misunderstanding that? No, not at all. So, I mean, just I guess I just want people listening to think about the implications of what that means for a second, because this doesn't just imply a cover-up you know, by Saudi diplomats. This implies that some of Bush's, the Bush family's extremely close Saudi friends um, were involved in the 9-11 attacks in they some were, capacity. They were involved with the financing of it. And, you know, they, they try to say that they unknowingly, probably did it unknowingly, but we don't know that. Yeah. And I think it begs the question of why was this hidden for so long? I mean... Oh, my God, 13, 14 years. On one hand, you could say it's, you know, Bush. Every, you know, everybody leans towards this idea that Bush is just covering his ass or that, you know, this was just another attempt to cover his ass. But I think people really need to get out of that mindset because this is extremely damaging information. I mean, even though it does line up with what you already suspected, um, it's extremely damaging. I think just it, it further unravels the official narrative that we know. A good friend of the president of the United States helps to finance the murder of 3,000 people, I think. And then the president helped to cover that up. And not just the president either, but... No, it was... Yeah, of course. And and then, you know, when you think back to this, that we've talked about this before, is that then the, was it on the evening of 9-11 they shared a cigar on the White House balcony? I don't know if it was the evening or the day after, but that's when they were talking about the flights, supposedly... To, uh, for letting the Saudis leave the country. Yeah. 
So, you know, it makes me wonder what else was discussed um, during those conversations. Well, um, I mean, in, in, I think it was March of 2001, um, Bush and Bandar were talking about, um, quote, decisive, the decisive need for military action in Iraq. Um, that's kind of suspicious to me. Uh, you know, months before 9-11 for somebody who was involved in 9-11 to be talking to the president about something they wanted to do, you know, as far as Iraq was concerned, that would require something like 9-11. Yeah. You know, it, it's just very suspicious. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, it, it you know, raises a lot of questions like, I are, are there actual monetary amounts they list in the redacted pages about how much money was given to some of these hijackers, or is that information just still vague? No, this, okay, here's one quote. Baznan also has other ties to the Saudi government. Baznan's wife received a monthly stipend from Princess Haifa. In a recent search of Baznan's residence, the FBI located copies of 31 cashier's checks totaling $74,000. During the period of February 22nd, 1999 to May 30th, 2002, these checks were payable to Baznan's wife and were drawn on the Riggs Bank account of Prince Bandar's wife. The FBI has determined that there has been a standing order on Princess Haifa's account since January 1999 to send $2,000 a month to Baznan's wife. Baznan's wife was allegedly receiving the funding for, quote, nursing services, but according to the redacted document, there is no evidence that, that Baznan's wife provided nursing services. And then it's followed by a redacted sentence. So, I mean, there's some money right there. But in the same report, they're saying that there's no direct evidence to link her to this? Or No, no there is. It's all throughout the report. Okay. I misunderstood that last. What was the, what was the last sentence you said? Um... Baznan's wife was allegedly receiving the funds for nursing nursing services, but according to redacted document, there is no evidence that Baznan's wife provided nursing services. Oh, I see. Okay. So, I mean, what we have there is almost as much money in the form of cashier's checks as this elusive Pakistani ISI wire transfer to Muhammad Atta of allegedly $100,000. Right, that's what, not in here. And that, and that was something that's always sort of been one of the more truthful mis but mysterious tidbits of, of 9-11 truth culture is, you know, why wasn't that thread followed up more? Well, I asked um, Senator Graham about it when he, I had him on my show. And he says, he's, he's, it was very odd the way he said it. It didn't sound like they looked into it. But then in another sentence, it sounds like they did. And I, I couldn't get a straight answer from him as to why this wasn't or that wasn't addressed in this. Yeah. You'd have to listen to it. It was very weird. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I bring that up is because it's this is all, the Saudi information about this, um, you know, the supposed nursing services payments totals to almost $100,000. So, you know, it just makes me wonder how many, why. This is such simple stuff. It's, it's you know, uh, the commission, I, I don't remember who said it. I think it was Lee Hamilton who said that the funding wasn't important because it was so little money. 
or it was so inexpensive to pull off the attacks? I think it was Tom Keene who said it was it was an insignificant amount of money. It was five hundred thousand dollars or something like that. But it, I mean, it really doesn't. That's just not a logical answer because even oh. if it was is uh, inexpensive, where did all that funding come from? Where did it, where, you know tra- trace but, it? Follow but, the money. It's remember, really simple. The, the commission said that the source of the funding was of little practical significance. To I, I just can't wrap my head around that because. You know, it reminds me, it's kind of echoes the same mindset uh, from some of those clips in a very heavy agenda where Woolsey and Don Kagan are saying, you know, it really, we really shouldn't go after the perpetrators here um, because that would almost be a distraction. I mean, it almost reminds me of that same line. It's like, why is that of no practical significance? That will point you directly to people who are involved in financing the attacks. Right. So on some level... You know, it's pretty obvious now, I think, to even mainstream journalists that for some reason or another, the U.S. government tried to blockade uh, an actual investigation into that funding or, you know, or if it was done, it, we don't know what it found or, you know, so, I mean, I mean, more of it. Um, you know, this is only I think we're really only seeing slivers of of what really happened, you know, um, with some of these disclosures. Right. Um, I just. Well, number one, you just talked about the press, and the press is not going to talk about all of the problems I spoke of with regards to the 9-11 Commission. They're just going to take the 9-11 Commission's word as gospel, and that's wrong. There's so much information that the public just does not know about that it should with regards to the 9-11 Commission. I mean, I see this opportunity, or I see this release of the 28 redacted pages as an opportunity to discredit the 9-11 Commission for the world to see. Um, and I hope people start to, to use it for that. Well, I completely agree. I mean, I, I, it's, it seems like such an obvious, easy target, especially now, but, you know, besides, you know, isn't it, isn't it Zelikow or someone else who writes a line in the 9-11 commission report saying there's no credible evidence to tie the Saudis or isn't it mentioned? there's, There's a sentence. I don't know what the exact sentence is, but was a sentence that essentially exonerates the government of Saudi Arabia, but then it's followed by sentences that talk about charities that could have been involved in financing al-Qaeda with close government ties, you know, charities with close government ties, I think is what they talk about. But... um, And it's just mentioned as an aside in in the the final report. The government, according to 9-11, to the 9-11 Commission, had nothing to do with this. In the press conference uh, at the release of the 9-11 report, Lee Hamilton said, we have found no evidence of the Saudi government having anything to do with this plot. Um, (laughs) So so that right there, I mean, the 28 pages at least disproves that. Well, it contradicts the 9-11 Commission. So why is the 9-11 Commission contradicted? And, you know, it's because of Zelikow's actions. You know, there were three people involved, uh, Al-Bayoumi, Osama Baznan, and Al-Thumari. And in their MFRs, their Memoranda for the Record, which is a description of the interviews that they gave with these individuals, it talks about how each one of those people was deemed untrustworthy. And yet the 9-11 Commission reached the conclusions that they did. 
And, you know, they interviewed them in Saudi Arabia while they were, um, there were government or Saudi government minders there. You know how we had government minders? Yeah. They had Saudi government minders there um, in, in the presence when they were interviewing them. Wow. So I can't imagine how intimidating they must be. Now, I saw someone tweet about this earlier, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this interpretation, but wasn't there something in the redacted pages also about how the Saudi government was actually trying to block uh, getting us access to bin Laden to interrogate him because they were worried he would reveal? Some yep. of, can you go into that a little bit? I don't have the quote in front of me, but they did talk about that in the in the 28 redacted pages that the... They didn't want uh, Osama to, to squeal or something to that effect. So, I mean, right there we have, you know, that definitely sheds some more light on the dynamic uh, to me of why Osama bin Laden was never captured or killed. Um, as, well, not just before 9-11, but right afterwards as well. Remember, they, they supposedly disowned him and took away his citizenship. And, you know, he was seen as a bad guy now. Remember yeah. And yet they were still supporting him. Yeah. So it really does beg the question of why was the FBI or whoever was involved in helping them, these, um, you know, bin Laden relatives and other Saudis uh, get on flights when flights were still grounded. Why, you know, why did they cover that up also? You know, because because Bandar, um, you know, I'm not. I'm not too familiar with his relationship is with the Bin Laden family, but that almost points to, um, you know, them covering not just for Bandar and the Saudi government, but also parts of the Bin Laden family. Well, he said that he's good friends with the Bin Laden family. So Bandar is actually friends with the, you know, the Bin Laden family that supposedly disowned Bin right. Laden. Yep. Um, and, you know, on those flights, those Saudi flights out of the U.S., one of the individuals that was allowed to leave was somebody by the name of Khalil bin Laden, who is the brother of Osama bin Laden. And there was something in Brazil that he had to do with where something having to do with terrorism, like he was involved in terrorism. And there was a, an addendum released from the 9-11 Commission that said the FBI interviewed everybody and found that nobody had any terrorist links, you know, when they left the country. And that, that's bullshit. And, and who is this person that Bob Graham has mentioned in his sort of, you know, attempt to get the 28 pages redacted? He he mentioned um, that there was someone they tried to subpoena that they weren't allowed to. Um, there that, was somebody, an FBI informant, who two of the hijackers live with, Abdus Sitar Sheikh. Um, let me close that at Facebook. Um, his name was Abdus Sitar Sheikh, and the administration fought against him testifying before the Joint Congressional Inquiry. But he did manage to speak, I think, to the 9-11 Commission with a lawyer present. Um, and I think his MFR is available to read. I don't remember anything being incriminating in it, though. Okay. So, obviously, this answers to some extent uh, that there's nothing about um, countries like Israel in the 28 pages. No. Is that correct? I did not even see the word mentioned. Okay. So some of those theories floating around that, that you know, that, that could this could be covering up their involvement has been proven 
uh, untrue with the release. Um, so now we have that cleared up at least. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it definitely adds... What? How do you feel about how this adds to your... I guess point of view and understanding of what happened is it add more does it create more questions or does it actually fill in some of these holes and create a clear uh, narrative for you We've pretty much known about this for a long time now it just confirms it that's all and you know it, it confirms something pretty big the president protected uh somebody who was supposedly financially involved with 9/11 that's that's a fucking crime you should be he should be fucking arrested so where is he right now? Is he in Saudi Arabia? Wasn't he dancing at a funeral recently? Oh, you're talking about uh, W. Yeah. yeah, W was dancing at a funeral. I mean, he looked actually like he might have been drinking again. Um, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, on some level, obviously, Bandar, W, Cheney, these people have been able to keep themselves enough at a distance so they are not burned really by any of these revelations i mean do you see anything i i know that there was a time in january 2003 when bandar cheney i think brumsfeld and myers got together and talked about um the invasion of iraq this was before the invasion so they were like planning it together kind of thing um i think that was in bob woodward's book yeah so, Bandar Bush, um, tell me, a, just give me more information about him, and well, he, just tell our listeners more about, you know, his history, you know, some other connections to 9-11 and the 9-11 cover-up. Well, he was involved in the uh, Mujahideen during the Afghanistan-Russia war. He was involved in the Iran-Contra um, affair, I believe. Um, he was involved in the BAE arms scandal. Do you remember that? No. Describe that a little bit. Oh, I don't, I couldn't do it off the top of my head. I just remember BAE and it had to do with Britain and, um, a billion dollars. I think I don't, I don't remember. Um, you know, he, he's somebody who recently used terrorists or rebels to send into Syria to try and take out Assad. So he was somebody who was intimately familiar with how terrorists work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's another thing that opens up a couple of questions, I think. You know, and then Bandar one time said that he was uh, that Saudi intelligence was following the hijackers, um, quote, with precision before the 9-11 attacks. I don't know. Did he share that information with Bush? Why did he withhold that information from Bush? But I don't know. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and from what the 28 pages say, um, it wasn't just Saudi intelligence shadowing these hijackers. Some, you know, some of them were actually funneling money. Right. So, um, you know, that's, you know, letting it, sort of waiting back and letting, you know, letting it happen versus actually contributing to the attacks themselves is a whole different thing. But is that something that you already, you know, you already felt had been confirmed in your own mind before these 28 pages? Is that, is that Bandar was involved in some of this funding? Yeah, absolutely. I did not trust the conclusions of the 9-11 report. And 
I mean, there's so much more in the 28 redacted pages that I don't even think was covered by the 9-11 report. Um, well, I guess what led you in that direction originally? Like, what information and research pointed you in that direction? Well, it was pretty obvious. Bob Graham was going around saying 28 pages, Saudi Arabia. And I heard years ago that it had to do with the embarrassment or saving people. Um, in fact, Nancy Pelosi, on the day, the day that the... Jicky, the Joint Congressional Inquiry's report was released. She said it shouldn't have to do with saving reputations, something to that effect. Um, so I've heard it for years. And the, the, the thing that made, you know, the story about Bandar has been out for years. It's not like I discovered this information. It's been out for years. Where has it, I mean, where did it come from originally? Newsweek, I think, was the original people, or news organization to report on it. And I have a video clip of Bandar denying everything. Did you see that? No. No, I need to I need to see that. Maybe we can put a clip in this episode. Yeah. You should do that right now. Turn to the whole issue of terrorism and the funding of it. This is Newsweek magazine. Headline New Questions about Saudi money and Bandar. A federal investigation of the bank accounts of the Saudi embassy in Washington has identified more than $27 million in suspicious transactions, including hundreds of thousands of dollars paid to Muslim charities and to clerics and Saudi students who are being scrutinized for possible links to terrorist activity, according to government documents. The probe also has uncovered large wire transfers overseas by the Saudi ambassador to the U.S., Prince Bandar bin Sultan. The transactions recently prompted the Saudi embassy's longtime bank, Riggs Bank that dropped the Saudis as a client after embassy officials were unable to provide an explanation that was satisfying, saying a source familiar with the discussions. Uh, Tim, if that was true, I think it will make a great movie, but it's not true. We terminated Riggs Bank problem is regulation problem that has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. However, Riggs Bank and us came to mutual agreement to terminate our relationship. As far as the embassy's accounts, or my wife's account, or my account, there is not one question that we had from the U.S. government of concern of what happened to these accounts. But here is the problem. When a story like this that has a prince, a princess, money, terrorism, uh, it is exotic. The tragedy that I find one of... I like, I like this country, and I like the American people. They're fair people. But one thing that is done in this country that, is, that really uh, <clears throat> disappoints me, and I could say something stronger, is when somebody puts a story like that, like Newsweek did, it's a big story. When the two people that started all of this, the Mr. Basnan and Bayoumi, a month ago, the FBI came and said, after two years of investigation, there is no connections, there is no foul play. But, Guess but, what? How many times did you make a special program about it or Newsweek but, have an announcement? Prince, they didn't. Prince, the general, former general counsel of the Department of Treasury, David Offhauser, a yeah. professional, a lawyer, testifying under oath before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Question, with regard to the trail of money and whether it leads in some cases to Saudi Arabia, Offhauser, in many cases, it is at the epicenter. Question, and does that trail of money also show money going to Al-Qaeda? Al-Fazar, yes. Is the money from Saudi Arabia a significant source of funding for terrorism generally? Al-Fazar, yes. Pr principally Al-Qaeda, but many other recipients as well. 
it definitely makes me angry on, on some level, and I'm sure it does for you too, that a lot of these things have already been out, not just put out there by independent researchers, but also mainstream media outlets like Newsweek. And all these different stories, it's almost like they each exist in a vacuum to, to the, you know, the mainstream media class hasn't connect, you know, hasn't done a good job. And that's being really uh, generous um, with them of connecting those dots together, even the dots of their own reporting of, of all these, of all these things you're talking about. So why is that? (laughs) Come on, dude. (laughs) <laughs> the media in this country is, is absolutely controlled. We just didn't Abby just do a, a story with um, James Risen about how the White House was threatening the, the New York Times or something. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't it doesn't. There was a clip that from the movie um, Good Night, Good Luck, which was about Edward R. Murrow where it showed Pentagon brass coming to the editor's office to talk to him about not running a story or something. I don't know if that was based on anything true, but it sounds like that's kind of stuff has been going on for years. Bob, Bob McElvain told me that a reporter told him that they would not be able to, ele- they would not be able to run his story because quote, the Pentagon would not allow it. End quote. So I don't know. But the media, they look at everything in a vacuum. Like every every individual thing about 9-11 stands alone to them. They never put all of the pieces together. But it, you know? it, but that's the weird thing to me is someone, you look at someone like Philip Shannon, you know, and even Eichenwald, and they've written, each one of them have written uh, crazy exposés on one facet of this, of, uh, you know, one, on one hand, Eichenwald wrote about the extensive amount of specific warnings and uh, Shannon writes about how much that commission was compromised from the very beginning and how it was, uh, you know, on so many levels, a cover up and orchestrated and sort of guided to its, you know, conclusions, pre-written conclusions by the Bush administration. So how is it that even people like that you think haven't connected more of these dots together? Phil Sheenan and Kurt Eichenwald. I I don't know. They, well, Kurt Eichenwald made a, big thing not to be a truther, quote unquote. He didn't want to be associated with truthers. And I, I understand that. Phil Sheenan, um, you know, a lot of people liked his book. And then he just came out with another book about JFK that a lot of people didn't like. But I mean, uh, being as, being associated with truthers, you know, I could understand that. But on a certain level, as a journalist, you would think that once you learn, you know, once you uncover something, because Eichenwald actually was able to get his eyes on a bunch of these PDBs that no one else has seen. Right. So you would think just as a journalist seeing those, um, the shock, you know, it was shocking to read what he was saying. You know, not necessarily shocking to us. We probably assumed most of those things. But it should be shocking information for any reporter who's not really following this. And I, I guess it just, I just don't understand how someone in his position... You know, even if you were worried about being labeled a truther, this is still information. This is still, it's it's your job as a journalist. Well, but you noticed during, there was an interview between Kurt Eichenwald and Ari Fleischer, where Ari Fleischer was holding up the 9-11 report. Every time Kurt Eichenwald made an, uh, an accusation, uh, Ari would hold up the 9-11 report and smile as if, you know, that was the definitive account of 9-11 and everything you're saying is a lie. Um, and then they leave it at that. 
and they don't follow through on the story. Um, you know, I've been asking people for a long time now to call for the release of the PDBs that came prior to 9-11. You know, the, you know, the 28 pages was just one thing that needed to be released. There's so many pages from the 9-11 Commission that have yet to be released. Um, Dan Christensen from the Florida Bulldog is working to get 80,000 documents from the FBI released regarding the Sarasota incident. Um, my God, the, the MFRs, so many that have been released have so many redactions throughout them that it, it's absurd. Like I said, there's so many redactions and so many different documents having to do with 9-11. We have a right as citizens to know every single thing about those attacks. It's, I mean, as you're saying, yeah, I mean, I completely agree, obviously. And as you're saying all these things, you know, to, it just almost seems like they somehow the Bush administration and a lot of these neocons and, and even debunker type people were able to like kill the curiosity surrounding it. They're able to smother that. And I, I guess, do you, do you not agree with that? I, I do agree with that. I think, well, the media has spent the last 10 years painting anyone who questions 9-11 as being the equivalent of a baby killer or a dog torturer, you know, and so nobody wants to touch it. People like Chris Edges or Glenn Greenwald, they don't want to touch it because they're afraid of getting painted with the 9-11 truth brush, which they think would lose them credibility or speaking, speaking engagements or whatever. And, you know, uh, self-censorship. Yeah. But you actually had a discussion with Greenwald um, about, you were trying to understand why he doesn't bring up some more of these issues that you, you're really focused on about nine 11. And what, what did, what was his answer? Well, I, I went through a couple of things with him, like Alex station and, and Saudi Arabia, and he, he said, well, why do you think this is the case? Why do you think the NSA lied? And I think what he expected me to say was because 9-11 was an inside job. But I didn't say that. What I said was is that I don't know why they lied, but we need to figure out why. And, I, you know, that was the end result. Because, you know, I, I said to him, I said, I can't believe that I, I thought of you as a hero for all these years you know, with all of the reporting that he had done. Like, you loved his anthrax reporting. Yeah. Um, but didn't didn't he kind of just just act like, well, it's not really, you know, his focus. He's focused on... He said what, that it was, you know, we as journalists, we decide, you know, what we're going to focus on and what we don't focus on. So, you know, that brings up another question. Why... Hasn't a mainstream journalist tried to make a career on skating on that edge? Because there isn't somebody really trailblazing in that area. I mean, even Eichenwald and Shannon, mainstream journalists, you know, they, I don't know if Eichenwald got anything more than a few articles out of it, but Shannon got a book out of it. And then after that, he's just like done. Right. There's, I don't, there's so much more out there to connect together. Why don't we have journalists that understand the definition of the word newsworthy? There are so many fucking newsworthy events with regards to 9-11 that have taken place over the years. Like, for instance, on September 11th, 2006, 9-11 family members and the makers of the film 9-11 Press for Truth got together at the National Press Club to call for a new investigation, and not one media outlet in the country covered that. I think one 
one little media outlet in the country covered that. And that's, that's absurd. You know, the media used to say that we were dishonoring the family members by questioning 9-11 or by having our theories about 9-11, whatever. Um, when the fact of the matter is they were dishonoring the family members who were seeking truth and accountability by not covering them. Yeah. And I mean, and we've, we've talked about this uh, many times, you know, and, it, and, and when I talk about it, I sound a little bit nuts when I say that I think that a lot of COINTELPRO-style tactics were, were injected into the 9-11 truth movement to push away a lot of these mainstream journalists, to make them essentially aff- not, just, not just afraid to look into it, but like, you know, they didn't even want to like associate with anybody who's a truther because truthers became this sort of hostile aggressive dogmatic force you know that would well it seemed that the pundits who had the national attention like the bill o'reilly's and the sean hannity's it seemed like it was their job to attack us because that's all they did and it, it was cnn and msnbc tucker carlson i mean all these people were just attacking us um and they they didn't show like our side of the story or anything unedited they wouldn't have us on to do that they wouldn't talk to the 9-11 family members um, oh, and when you're saying attacking us, what you mean is attacking mostly the kookier. Anybody who questioned Well, what they did was is they would go single out the kooky people. Exactly. Pray yeah. everybody as being the same. And that, that was just a lie. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is unfortunate that that's the trajectory that happened with 9-11 Truth. We could argue if it was manufactured or not. You know, well, I believe there was COINTELPRO. I mean, it's one of the things that John Ashcroft reinstated after 9-11 happened was COINTELPRO. Yeah. I mean, just think to Michael Moore's movie, Fahrenheit 9-11, where they talked about that peace group, Peace Fresno, and they, how they were infiltrated by the, the cops and so forth. And they were just a, a little... I, I love them. The guy, Dan, who runs it, he's awesome. Well... I want to keep, um, I think we've covered, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to say about the 28 pages specifically? Uh, I think that Bush, well, I mean, Walter Jones just said at a press conference the other day that Bush should be made to answer questions. And I agree. He should be arrested. He should be made to answer questions. And then, you know, the 9-11 Commission, people need to recognize that as discredited um, because it was. And is discredited. I'm not saying that everybody on the 9-11 Commission was a bad person. I'm sure there were good people who tried to do good things on that commission. And that's why I say that we should not ignore the doc- documentation from the 9-11 Commission because some of it contradicts what's in the 9-11 report. But the conclusions of the 9-11 report are something we certainly should take with a grain of salt. Well, I completely concur. Um, I wanted to you to join me for a, a little bit of a thought experiment for a second. So you're going to say a sing along? <laughs> Would you do that? Just just yeah. to, in regards to nine eleven, I'm not going to make you talk about the buildings uh, being blown up or anything like that. Don't worry. Um, what I wanted to what I wanted to do is sort of first. I mean, let me ask. Do you think, do, would you see what happened on 9-11 in some ways as almost like a coup d'etat? I think you could look at a number of events over the years as being a coup d'etat. 
you know, the, the JFK assassination, um, 9-11, possibly. I mean, it certainly gave them the power to do everything they've done since then. So it could be seen as a coup in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I, I would describe it that way. I would describe it as a coup d'etat of sorts. But then when you start thinking about it in that framework, and this is the thought experiment, if that transfer of power took place, if some you know, aspect of what people call the deep state or, or, you know, whatever aspect of the government allowed this to happen, that government or that aspect of the government or those people were never uh, put in jail, were never investigated. Um, and they're, and as far as I see it, they, are, they do, they are still in power um, because they've been immune to prosecution or investigation. So in that framework of, you know, imagining that these people are still around, um, you know, they're still free, um, we could think maybe, you know, if, if Cheney had any involvement in the cover-up or the attacks themselves, he's, he's still free. Um, you know, he's, he's at home. Um, so with that in mind, um, what do you think that that means for the future? Like, do you see... I think it's horrible. I think that the whole world needs to see these individuals frog walk into a, a, a squad car, you know, which means being handcuffed and put into a squad car um, and, and arrested and put on trial. I think the whole world needs to see that in order for us to start going in the right direction, you know, to stop the wars and, and stuff like that. And if that happened... If let's just imagine for a second that they actually were, you know, all of a sudden on TV, uh, on all the news channels across the world, we saw Bush being pushed into a police car in handcuffs for questioning over this. What kind of effect? I mean, do could you see that having on the world, the globe? I mean, just it would be celebrating. I think all the people would be celebrating. I don't know about the members of government. It would probably be a little afraid at that point that it might happen to them. So you see more of a, a positive reaction. Oh my God! Yeah, from the people. Am I? Yeah, absolutely. What about though? Taking just taking into consideration the climate here in the U.S. right now, how inflamed everything seems to be, like with Trump, you know, f- fans and and um, all this the racial tensions and stuff. I mean, I almost feel like. You know, I know everybody has said this all throughout time, but it does feel like things are getting quite bad um, yeah. and more tense and, and the climate is more angry and vitriolic. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would hope something like that would have a positive effect, but. I think in order for it to have a positive effect, the American people would have to be first educated as to why it's happening. Yeah. Um, you know. Because it would almost be like ripping a Band-Aid off. I mean. It, it, I mean, it would be a painful thing, even if it was positive, to know that our government committed a crime on 9-11, for, I think for most people to understand it that way. Um, and, I'm, and I'm almost wondering, like, you know, like almost imagine like a reverse of the post-9-11 acceleration towards all this stuff, uh, like the consciousness shift. If you just think of what happened after 9-11, like a major consciousness shift, undoing that. Um, would be extremely positive for the world 
But, well, at the, but at the same time, it would be a painful, really painful process for, for I think, especially Americans to go through. Other, said, I don't know. Said, what do you think? I've said for years that on 9-11, we came together like never before as a country. And that I believe that we could do that again, come together for 9-11, but for the right reasons this time. To hold people who need to be accountable to get the truth out there about that day. To hold those who are responsible who need to be, you know accountable and I, it just, it, it has to happen. Um, the families deserve to see it. We deserve to see it. Have you talked to any, uh, family members since the pages got released? No. Um, Lori Van Auken, I think just sent me an email with a new statement that they just released the September 11th advocates. I just got it now. If you want, I can read it to you. Yeah, yeah, please. So describe what this is again for the audience. All right. This is a statement from the September 11th advocates who are Kristen Bratweiser, um, Patty Casaza, Monica Gabrielle, Mindy Kleinberg, and Lori Van Alken. They were, orig- they were known as the Jersey Girls or the family members responsible for the creation of the 9-11 Commission. And this is a statement that they just sent out regarding the 28 redacted pages they have sent out numerous statements through the years that if they had gotten the attention they deserved in the media this would be a different world today i truly believe that all right so i'm going to read this to you statement of september 11th advocates regarding release of the classified 28 pages july 15th 2016 the information in the 28 pages is much more than a smoking gun it is a slamming damning indictment of Saudi complicity in the financial and operational support of the 9-11 attacks. After reading these pages, it has become clear that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia should have been listed as a state sponsor of terrorism immediately after the bombing of the USS Cole in October 2000. Had the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia been named a state sponsor of terrorism in October 2000, the FBI and CIA would have adequately investigated the suspicious information they had in their files surrounding Omar Bayoumi, Osama Biznan, Fahad Thumeri, and Anwar al-Waki and their connections to the 9-11 hijackers. Incredibly, the FBI and CIA did not investigate the vast quantity of suspicious activities of Saudi diplomats, officials and individuals prior to the 9-11 attacks because the kingdom of Saudi Arabia was deemed a benign, protected U.S., quote, ally, end quote. And more outrageously, they retain that special status to this day. Clearly, these activities, um, clearly had these activities been properly investigated, the attacks of September 11, 2001 could and should have been prevented. The suppression of this information is an outrage. Having withheld this information for 15 years, along with the tens of thousands of other 9-11-related documents that still remain classified, is nothing short of an obstruction of justice. Foreign policy decisions relating to the safety of this nation and its citizens have been made in the dark and in error because these pages were hidden for 15 years. This has truly left us a nation in peril. We have waited 15 long years for justice and accountability. With the release of these 28 pages and the damning information contained therein, we hope to finally have our day in court. Finally, we want to thank Senator Bob Graham for being our voice and championing our cause for 15 years. Senator Graham never forgot, never gave up, and has now prevailed. The nation owes him a debt of gratitude. 
seeking truth, transparency, justice, and accountability. Kristen Bratweiser, Patty Casaza, Monica Gabrielle, Mindy Kleinberg, and Laurie Van Alken. Man, that's powerful stuff. I mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, people really need to let that sink in. That This has been 15 long, painful years, um, especially for the family members. And, you know, there are definitely some family members out there who, you know, haven't looked at 9-11 with the same critical eye. Um, but there's still so many family members out there who have been following this and, and, and have essentially known on some level what these 28 pages have revealed. Um, and just being able to be able to sue and have their day in court is so important. Well, it's, I think taking it into a courtroom is, is important because you have to do things like a face examination and, questioning and provide evidence and you might get witnesses on the stand who that we've never been able to get before like dana leeseman who was fired by philip zelikow yeah you know? yep or mike jacobson or raj day the two staffers who worked on the 9-11 commission who wanted the information in the 9-11 report and who knows what government officials might be called into the stand i mean john ashcroft was called into the stand during the stephen hatfield lawsuit um he had to come in and testify under oath so you never know, you know, I mean, and I think that's at least it'll open the door and, you know, get the, get our foot in the door to get more and more disclosures because right. there's so many more out there. Um, and again, I don't say I know the truth about 9-11. I know we were lied to about a great many things concerning 9-11. I know that there needs to be truth, accountability, and justice. I know that the proper history about that day needs to be told so that they, they so that day can never be used again as it has been. Um, no, you know. we can't let the quote unquote winners write the history and set it into stone. We still have, I think we still have time at least to re-steer the narrative to a more truthful one. It might not create the earth-shattering results that we hope, you know, would want to see, but at least we could guide people closer to what might have actually happened instead of this completely bullshit, propped-up narrative by these so-called winners, the Bush administration, these crazy war criminals. Right. Um, so thank you so much, John, for coming on today to talk about this. Um, is there any website or... or um, uh, plug your YouTube channel or anything like that you want people to check out? No, I, w I would say to just go to 28pages.org and see what Brian McGlinchey has put together. He's put a lot of stuff out there regarding the 28 pages. Um, I recommend people go listen to my show, all 30 episodes. Um, by the way, I'm scheduled to have one final episode about the release of the 28 redacted pages with Paul Thompson. Amazing. So that should be good. And he, and he hasn't appeared on your podcast yet, has he? No, he hasn't. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear that. Um, yep. And Paul Thompson is the uh, w one of the main people responsible for the History Commons website. Is that correct? He created the complete 9-11 timeline. Other people have joined on over the years, but he's the one who started it. Yeah. Really important resource. Well, thank you so much, John. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this fairly soon again. Yes, sir. Thanks, Robbie.